This is good. Do you guys mind if I back up a little bit because I want to be able to see you? Is that okay? If I break something, sorry. Okay, I'm going to get myself situated here, and then I'm going to get started. I want to start my clock because it's two, two and a half hours. Is that okay? I'm totally kidding. Yeah, I was like, oh, gosh, this is my first time here. These people are crazy. Okay. Yeah. Guys, honestly, I'm so pumped to be here with you. Uh, we spent like 30-something hours in an airplane to come see you. Uh, so if you don't believe that we love you, that's proof we love you. Um, like I said, like, like was mentioned before, we live in Southern California. Uh, very beautiful, very unique place. Um, but more than anything, what I love about coming to visit you here in, in Durban is I love the moments when I get to be with the people of God when they praise God. It gets me every single time, especially here in South Africa. I was standing over here, and when you ladies were singing, and what language is that? Is that Zulu? Yeah. Yeah, it just captivates my heart. Because that's like, that's that's God's heart, is that every tribe, every tongue, every nation would be wrapped up in praise and adoration to the most glorious, beautiful, amazing thing ever. That's Jesus. And being able to just be with you and experience that together um, and enjoy Jesus together, it really ignites my heart. So I'm thrilled to be here with you guys this morning. I think tonight will be helpful. Uh, I think it will be informative. So if you have your, yeah, but today, did I say tonight? I'm a little jet lagged, sorry. So if I say something like that, you have permission to go, hey, Tom, what did you say if I was confusing, okay? Because I'll just keep <laughs> I'll just keep moving, all right? You with me? Cool. Um, one thing that you need to know, too, is that my the quality of my preaching is directly related to your participation, okay? So if you're quiet, this is going to go really bad, and it's your fault, okay? So I want to hear you. I want you to participate with me, okay? Does that sound good? All right, grab your Bible. If you have your Bible, hopefully. If you have maybe an app on your smartphone or whatever, I'm going to be in the English Standard Version this morning. Go ahead and flip to John chapter 5, okay? John chapter 5. And while you're flipping there, I want you to just take a moment, and I want you to consider your life, but more specifically, I want you to consider for a moment the various ways that you as a human being express yourself. How do you, in your uniqueness, how do you express yourself? Okay, think about like things like your vocabulary, the words that you use, maybe slang. How's it? Right? Those, yeah, thank you, thank you. Those kinds of things, like how do you express yourself? Think about uh, the tone of your voice or even the volume of your voice or the volume of your voice. Like how do you express yourself? Think about your body language. My wife is consistently trying to help me <laughs> understand my body language because I'm, I'm an introvert, like kind of naturally, which I tend to kind of, imbi- like, it, <laughs> you guys hopefully know what introversion and extroversion is, but either way, my wife's trying to help me because sometimes I'll have looks on my faces that's like kind of um, not the most inviting or kind look on my face, and I'm, there's nothing wrong, I'm just, I'm just processing and she's helping me. Learn more about my body language. How do you express yourself with your body language? Your clothes, maybe. I just want to get your mind thinking about all these different ways that you as a person, you express yourself. Um, do you guys have, like, the competitive dancing shows on TV in South Africa? Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Um, so there's, uh, this is like huge in America now. If you, if you flip different channels on the television, there are um, probably like half a dozen of these, of these TV shows where literally it's like competitive dancing. So whether it's like a group or whether it's individuals or whether it's a couple and it's kind of like um, there's judges and they judge you and they tell you, you know, whether it was good or whether it was bad or whatever. But I'm not really a fan of these dancing shows. And probably, I don't know, a few years ago, my wife, her name's Ebony, she, uh, she calls me into the room and she's like, hey, I want you to watch this. And nothing inside of me wanted to watch what she wanted to show me other than I love my wife and I want to honor her and so she, she sits me down and I'm watching, I start to watch this, this dance. And, and basically what it was, was it was two people and one of the people, they were like, it was kind of, it was this dance that was inspired by addiction. So before they get started, uh, they get, they preface it and they say, Hey, this is a dance that's inspired by, uh, I think it was actually even one of the dancers that was battling with addiction. And, and you, so you had two different dancers. One dancer was playing the role or dancing, I guess, the role of the addict you tracking with me? Yeah? And the other dancer was playing the role of, like, the object of the addiction. Okay? So, you know, if you can imagine, there's three minutes. that They're dancing, so there's music playing. And I'm watching these two people kind of jump around on stage, and they're moving their bodies, and they're flailing. And, and it's, I'm like, it, guys, I can't tell you how, I, how much I didn't really care about this at all. And I watched this, and I'm watching these people move their bodies to the music for three minutes or whatever it was, and listen to me. By the end of that three minutes, I'm like crying. I can't hold back the tears. You know when you have that lump in your throat and you're trying hard not to? You're like, hold it in. Like, I just watched these people move around to music on TV, and I, like, what just happened? I'm having this emotional response to this dance here's the thing. I didn't have that emotional response because people were moving their bodies to music. It wasn't so much what those two people were doing, but how they did it. Okay? Their expression through dance, it was powerful. Like it affected me. It moved me. You see, expression, it's not only what you do, it's also how you do it. You tracking with me? Today we're going to talk about this idea of, of what Jesus has to teach us about expression and why, listen to me, it's really, really important. Okay, so hopefully you are in John chapter 5 by now, correct? Yes? Great. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for our time quickly, and then we're going to jump into John chapter 5 and see what Jesus has to teach us about expression, okay? Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you that I get to be here with these precious men and women. Um, your family is vast, and it is diverse, and it is beautiful. And what a privilege it is to be together this morning in your presence. So God, I, my prayer is that you would, um, you would use me to serve my brothers and sisters. If there's anything, um, God, that comes out of my mouth that is, is, uh, is unhelpful, if there's anything that I said that you don't want me to say, I pray that it wouldn't, it would fall on deaf ears. People wouldn't hear it. Because <laughs> we really want to be led by you. We want to be loved by you this morning. So would you help me? Thank you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so John chapter 5, to give you a little bit of context here, I'm going to start in verse 30. I'm only going to do a few verses. But John chapter 5, right around verse 30 here, you got to understand what's happening. Jesus, he's speaking to these religious Jews. 
Okay, so you're going to hear his words. And these religious Jews, they were upset with Jesus. And the reason they were upset with Jesus wasn't so much with what he was doing, but how he was doing it. Okay, so he was, he was, he was, um, healing people. Amazing. They're, they're not, they're not upset that he's healing people necessarily, but they're upset of how he's doing it because he's healing people on the Sabbath. Okay. Jesus is doing things that, that the promised Savior, the, the Messiah, right? You guys understand this idea that the people of God have been waiting for this Savior, they've been waiting for this deliverer, this Messiah for generations. Okay. This guy, Jesus, he's doing things that that promised Savior would do, but he's also claiming to be equal with God while he does it. Okay, so he's, he's, he's irritating these, uh, these religious Jews, okay? So that's what's going down. John chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 30. I'm going to read, okay? Follow along with me if you have your Bible. This is the words of Jesus. He says this, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent John, uh, quickly, that's John the Baptist, not the Apostle John who wrote this, um, this gospel account. You sent John the Baptist, and he has borne witness about the truth. Um, skip down to verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, John the Baptist. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Okay, this morning I just want to talk about three things, okay? If you're a note taker, you can write these things down. Okay, the first thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about Jesus' power. I want to talk about Jesus' assignment. And I want to talk about our role. Okay, so Jesus's power, Jesus's assignment, and our role. Okay, let's jump in here. Jesus's power. Uh, look back there in verse thirty. Jesus says something remarkable. Okay, Jesus says, "I can do nothing on my own." Think about that for a moment. Okay, the Bible is very clear. Jesus is not a normal guy. He's not like me. He's not like you. He's normal. He's not normal. He's, there's something unique about Jesus. Okay. He, the Bible tells us that Jesus, he's the all powerful God of the universe in the form of a man. And the Bible is also very clear that, that, that God is incredibly powerful. Okay. So you have Jesus, God in the flesh. It's, it's this beautiful mystery, fully God, fully man. We'll get to that in a second, but let me just read you a couple of things here from uh, Psalm 147. This is verses 4 through 5, talking about how incredibly powerful God is, okay? It says this, starting verse 4, He, God, determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. This word's going to come up a lot today, power. His understanding is beyond measure. Okay, that's Old Testament. Let's jump to the New Testament here. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He, the he here being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And listen to this. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God's power is unmatched. It's not like any other power you've ever experienced. The Bible's clear, friends, about this idea that God 
creator of all things, that he, his power is unmatched, and that he's holy. You guys familiar with what holy is? It means to be set apart. It's essentially this idea that God's perfectly righteous. He's, he's, he's exclusively good. He's holy. He's pure. He, he's in a league of his own. There's nobody like him. You tracking with me? There we go. God's holy. And his power is unmatched. And yet it says that Jesus, God in the flesh, can do nothing on his own. That sounds crazy. Because he's all-powerful. And there's nobody like him. And he's holy. You see, one of the most beautiful things about Jesus... It isn't so much that he has this unmatched power, this limitless power, but rather it's how he uses it. It's how he expresses it. That's what I want to talk about right now, okay? Look back at verse 30 with me. I'm going to read this to you. I'm talking about this idea of how Jesus expresses his power, his unmatched, limitless power. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, listen to this, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What I want for us this morning is I want you to see how Jesus expresses his power, his unmatched power, okay? And unless you look closely here, you'll miss it. So you have Jesus, the all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe, and he expresses his power not by forcing his way. What does it say? But by submitting to the will of God the Father exclusively. Now, <laughs> that might not sound like powerful to you. It might be like, that's like the opposite of power. He's submitting what? Try it. I dare you. Try it for, try it for a couple days, okay? Try to just like um, <clears throat> see how long that you can last only doing what somebody else wants you to do. Like, the truth is, you and I, we wouldn't last a day. Like, one of us is going to get hungry, and then all bets are off. Because <laughs> I want to I wanna eat. I wanna, I, oh, Grant wants to go get coffee. I'm like, but I need to eat, dude. I haven't eaten in, like, two days or whatever it is. This idea of, like, you, you cannot do that in your own strength. Fully submit to the will and the desire of somebody other than you. That's power, man. Like, think about it. Do you have any idea how much power it takes to live a fully submitted life? Not in some areas. Not like, God, you have my calendar, but you don't have my wallet. God, you have my time, but you don't have my sexuality. You don't have my body. Like, I'm talking comprehensively. A fully submitted life. Do you have any idea how much power that takes? You see, Jesus' life is marked by two very, very important things. Hear me say this, listening and obeying. Listening and obeying. Friends, that's what submission is, listening and obeying. And check this out. They're both verbs. They're both, they're both things that we do. We, we do listening. We do obeying. Are you tracking with me? Yeah? Okay. Uh, how many parents in the room? Raise your hand high. That is not high. Come on. Okay, a handful of us. If you have children, you understand how incredibly diff- difficult it is to teach your children to listen and obey. Okay? Maybe you guys are expert all-star parents, but I have a really difficult time. I have two daughters. 
Uh, Amelia and Vivian. Amelia is seven. Vivian is four. They are amazing, gorgeous, wonderful, uh, terrible, all the above. Okay, they're they're this <laughs> there's this they're this beautiful mix of uh, they're wonderful. At times, that can be really hard. But either way, the reason I bring them up is because like trying to teach them to listen and obey is a difficult thing. My eldest daughter, she tends to be more of like the, she wants to please mommy and daddy. She wants, she wants the approval of people. So she's not going to go against the grain very often. My youngest daughter is like punk rock. Okay. She's like, I do things on my own time when I want to, like, she's way more difficult to break. (laughs) like her will, uh, but we're trying. We're trying to teach her that authority is a good thing for her. Listening, obeying is actually the way that God created her to operate, all that stuff, right? And it was funny because the other day, just this idea of like we're trying to teach her, we're trying to teach her like to filter her words <laughs> because she will say incredibly inappropriate, hurtful things at the worst times. So uh, the church that I lead in Temecula with Herrick and, and Jason, like it's a new church plant. So we're still trying to form community. We're still trying to form and, and, and establish trust and build relationships centered on Jesus and centered on the gospel. And so we're, we do a lot of like dinners and stuff. So we're, uh, I don't know, this is like recently. We, ha- we go to this family's house for dinner, okay? We sit down for dinner and they're like, they're wonderful, kind people, but they're very like kind of serious about food. They take like what they eat, like the quality of it really seriously and they cook and they like, they're really responsible when it comes to like their health from nutrition, from a nutritional standpoint. So we sit down at the table with them and they, you know, they serve us dinner. And my daughter, Vivian, my youngest, she's like, this is disgusting. And me and my wife, Ebony, we look at her and we say, Vivian, like you, we call her Vivi. Vivi, like you can't say that, sweetie. That's, that's unkind. It's hurtful. She, you know, you're being picky right now. And then she looks at us and she looks across the table at the other family. And she goes, did you guys know that your food is disgusting? So you can imagine how her parents felt in that moment of like, I clearly have not taught my child how to listen and obey because first of all, she brought, brings it up when I tell her not to do it. She pushes the envelope even further. Teaching our children to listen and obey is an incredibly difficult thing, okay? Parents, you guys know this, but here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that Jesus, God in the flesh, I want you to see that Jesus, he expresses his unmatched power by denying himself, by submitting to the will of God the Father. And listen, not just for a week, not just at a dinner party, but for an entire lifetime. 33 years. Every moment of every single day. That's power. So, what specifically though, What specifically did Jesus submit to? Let's talk about it. My second point here, Jesus' assignment. Jesus' assignment. Um, If you notice in verse 36 there, Jesus refers to this. He says, he talks about the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The works that God the Father had given to Jesus to accomplish. Okay, what are these works? What is Jesus' assignment? Um, If you're familiar with the Old Testament, the New Testament, right? The entire New Testament is really about this idea that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the promised Savior, right? If you've read the Bible, that should be, that should, shouldn't be new to you. Now, the Old Testament has over 400 prophecies about this Messiah. 
Okay, what, what he would, or what this person would do, what would it, like specific things, specific foretelling things, over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament, okay, about the Messiah. So part of Jesus' assignment is fulfilling every single one of those prophecies. Every one of them. Okay, so that would include like, obviously living the perfect life in my place, dying the death that I deserve, paying the penalty for my sins. That's part of it. Absolutely. You guys should, you guys just should be familiar. But there's something else that I want for you to see about the work that the Father gave Jesus to accomplish. Um, one of the core beliefs about Christianity is this idea, I kind of referenced it earlier, this, this idea that, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. It might sound like a contradiction, but it's not. This idea that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Uh, if you've ever read Colossians chapter 1, it, t- it talks about this in a beautiful way. It talks about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So it, it's been said that like, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, right? He, he, he's the expression. He's the, he's, the, he's the image of the invisible God. Um, second chapter of Colossians, Colossians 9 says, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, of like God, essentially, dwells bodily. So fully God, but fully man. Okay, and it's this idea, essentially, I don't want to take too much time with this, but this idea that like Jesus had to be fully man. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be the perfect sacrifice for me because he'd have different, there'd be like a different set of standards for him. Makes sense? He'd have an advantage that I don't have. Does this make sense? So for the sacrifice to actually be worth, like not worth it, for the sacrifice to actually make sense, for it to be, um, for it to be adequate, satisfactory, Jesus had to be fully man, but he's fully God too. It's this interesting, beautiful truth, right? Philippians 2 tells us that God, he emptied himself. Okay, he took on flesh. He became a man. And in doing so, he takes on human limitations. So he's still fully God, but now he's subject to the limitations of being a human. If you come to the, uh, the prophetic training we're going to do, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. But this idea that God's fully, or that Jesus is fully God and fully man, he emptied himself. So he's fully God and fully man. Here's what I want you to see. Part of God's agenda in becoming a man was to show us what it looks like to be fully human. Uh, Grant and I was talk- were talking earlier. One of the things I love about Grant is that uh, not only is he a kind, thoughtful, generous, um, handsome man, but uh, he has good taste in sport, okay? And here's, here's what I mean. Some of you are like, what? So Grant played water polo when he was growing up. How many of you guys know, are familiar with water polo? How many of you are not familiar with water polo? Thank you. See, that's courage. Thank you. Okay? And half the room didn't raise your hand, so you're probably not tracking with me. That's okay. Um, but either way, water polo, it's basically like this mixture of like, I don't know, like soccer and basketball and mixed martial arts in the water. Okay? Uh, it's a manly sport, uh, although the women were tough as nails in water polo. Uh, either way, I played water polo growing up too. I loved it. It's a, it's a really great sport. Okay? I loved playing water polo. And one year, the, the coach came to us, to the team, and said, hey, uh, I really want you guys to, to swim on the competitive swim team in high school. Uh, what, what you guys call high school? What is it? Uh, secondary? Or is it high school? High school. So you're tracking with me. So I'm in high school. My water polo coach comes to me and says, 
I want you, all the guys on the team, I want you guys to be on the swim team as well so that you can train in the water to get your endurance and your, you know, to train for polo when it come, when the season comes back around again. And I had never really swam competitively. I was a strong swimmer, um, that kind of thing, and I, lo- I loved playing water polo, but water polo is very different than competitive swimming. Okay, competitive swimming is like, you're in your own little world, and you're, you're doing your thing. Water polo is way more team-oriented. There's a ball. That's <laughs> different, okay? So coach comes to us, hey, join the swim team. Get, get conditioned for the following year for polo. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'll, my, my coach told me to do something. I'm going to do it. So I sign up. I, I start playing. Uh, I, I sign up for the swim team, and they let me on the team, which was interesting. And if you're familiar with competitive swimming, uh, you have the meet, right, and all the, the, the different swimmers. What would happen is the coach would post the lineup, and the lineup was basically who is going to swim what races. So different lengths, different strokes. Yeah? You tracking with me? You guys familiar with this? Okay, good. Now, like I said, I was a strong, I was a decently strong swimmer. I, I played water polo. Um, are you guys familiar with the strokes in competitive swimming? Okay, great. Um, I'm going to set the mic down just for a second because I want to be able to demonstrate for those of you that don't know. Okay? Uh, I'm sure you probably know what freestyle is. I'm going to try to, no, I'm not going to set it down. Thank you. What, see? Servant leader. Just like Jesus. Okay. Freestyle. You got this one, right? Okay. And then you have, uh, let's see, you have the backstroke. Okay. Those two I had down. You have to do that in, in water polo. So backstroke, you know, you go like this and you're kicking back. You do both those in water polo. I had those down fine. No problem. Doggy, doggy style is not a competitive stroke, man. <laughs> but, okay, so you guys know the breaststroke. The breaststroke, right? Breaststroke you're gonna, is the one where you kind of like pop up out of the water and you come up and this one, you tracking with me? Yes. Okay. I could do that one fine too. What about butterfly? <laughs> you guys know what the butterfly is? Yes. Where the guys pop up out of the water and this move? Okay, thank you. I'd never swam the butterfly in my entire life. So I go check the lineup, my very first swim meet ever. And guess who's swimming the 100-meter butterfly? This guy. So part of me kind of panics because I'm like, I've never even tried to do that. Why would the coach put me in something I've never even done? So I go to the coach. I'm like, coach, hey, uh, you've made a, you made a mistake. Uh, I've never swam the butterfly. This would be ridiculous. And he's like, you'll be fine. So... I have like about 20 minutes until the race. So I go in one of the little pools that you can warm up in. And I'm just watching people trying to figure out how to do the butterfly stroke. Because I have to go in the other big pool in front of all those people and swim this race in about 10, 15 minutes. So I'm trying to figure out it. Okay. So I'm like, okay. I kind of like build myself up. The thought definitely crossed my mind. Like maybe I should just hide in the bathroom because this is not going to be pretty. But I'm like, no, I'm not going to quit. Like, we, I'm going to do this. This is going to happen, you know? Like, self-empowerment, self-reliance, willpower, right? So I get in the pool, and I, I, I'm going to take my mark, and, you know, the gun goes off, and the race starts. And if you're familiar with, you know, the lengths of the pool, so it's going to be 100 meters, is going to be there, back, there, back. The first 25, so, you know, the first way there to the wall. I'm kind of staying with everybody. And so I kind of have this confidence grow. I'm like, I think I could do this. I'm, what if I could win this race? <laughs> so I'm like going for it. I, my all, right? By the time I, so I finished the first length. By the time I got halfway through the second of four, 
I'm pretty far back. Like, I'm clearly in last place, but like by quite a by quite a lot. By the time I made my my turn to go, I'm halfway done at this point, and I'm going to start the next two. Everybody else is almost finished with the race. This is a true story, okay? It got to the point, guys, I'm like flailing in the water. But I don't want to quit. So if you're familiar with competitive swimming, you know that when the race ends, the swimmers kind of, they touch the wall, they get their time, and they kind of congratulate each other at the wall, and they stay in there until, for a few minutes until, you know, and they all kind of get out together. So... By the time I finished the race, the rest of the racers were already out of the water. And I can remember all these people. I I finally finished the race, and I remember looking kind of around, and you just had, like, it, well, it was, I think it was beyond people laughing at me. You know, I think, like, they clearly did, maybe for my last, like, length, you know? But by the time I actually finished the race, it was just silent. People just eyeballs looking at me, and I'm just like, I'm exhausted. I get out of the water, and I'm just, I'm so angry at my coach. I'm like, I'm, I'm humiliated. I'm so frustrated. It was like, guys, it was the worst experience, like, ever. And eventually, I, I learned how to do the stroke, you know? I figured it out. But for that very first race, I just tried to do what I saw other people doing. And it didn't, it didn't work out for me at all. It, that first race, it was me trying to figure things out on my own, like my own understanding during the race. And it was a colossal failure. And I'm convinced that so many of us, we think, we think we know how to be human. We think we know. We think we know how to do the stroke. But what we're really doing is we're just kind of watching what other people do, mimicking them sometimes, or, or we do what feels natural, what feels good. Friends, God the Father gave Jesus specific works to accomplish. And part of that was showing all of us how to actually be human, how to actually swim the stroke. You're tracking with me. And guys, not just that. But like, he de- not to do what comes natural, right? Like, not to do what others are doing or not to do what feels good. So, do you see what Jesus is showing us here? Jesus, the most human person ever. Okay, fully God, but fully man. Jesus shows us the key to living a fully human life. Submission to God the Father. That's what it looks like. Listening and obeying. That's what submission is, right? That's what it means to live a fully human life. That's what it means to truly be human. But listen, how often do we actually do that? How often do we actually give ourselves over to listening and obeying, of submitting to the will of our Creator and our Father in heaven? You see, the reality is, like, I choose my will over God's will every day. Maybe you do, too. It's called sin. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that 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 sin, choosing my will over God's will, like, it violates what it means to actually be human. 
to thank God for the grace of Jesus. You have the gospel, right? The gospel means good news. It's not advice. It's information about what's happened. Insert the gospel, right? God in his grace, he becomes the man. He becomes a man. And not only does Jesus live this perfect, sinless, fully human, fully submitted life in my place, but he dies the death that I deserve for my lack of submission because I don't do it well. For the ways that I reject God, like when I choose my way over his ways, And not only that, but in the process, he shows me how to actually be human. He shows me how to actually swim the stroke. You tracking with me? Because I clearly don't know. (laughs) Like none of us do, man. And if you don't believe me, just look around. Just spend five minutes reading the news. Like the world is not the way it's supposed to be. It's broken. Violence, racism, greed. Like I could spend all morning talking about how broken things are, how things are not the way they're supposed to be. Because each of us chooses my will over God's will. We reject what it means to be human because we'd rather play the role of God. We'd rather, we'd rather others listen, to, listen and obey to our will. But look where that's gotten humanity, man. Humans, myself included, we make terrible gods. Dare I say we make crappy gods? Am I allowed to say crappy in Durban? Is that okay? No? Is that bad? If I've offended you, I apologize. But seriously, it's humans, we make terrible, terrible gods. Jesus shows us the key to living a fully human life. It's submission to God. And listen, do you know what the outcome of living a fully submitted life to God is? Do you know what the outcome of that is, the result? It's holiness. The outcome is holiness. And did you know that's God's agenda for your life? I'm going to say that again, and I want you to hear me say that. God's agenda for your life is your holiness. And the result of living a fully submitted life, listening and obeying his will instead of yours, the result of that is holiness. Let me read this to you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. I'm almost done. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God's agenda is your holiness. His agenda is that you would be like him. Holy, righteous, pure. His agenda is your holiness, and it happens by listening and obeying just like Jesus did. There's one more thing that I want to share with you before I close, so I'll call the band up and I'll close with this. You guys can come on up. My third point, our role. We talked about Jesus' power, talked about Jesus' assignment. Now I want to talk about our role really, really quickly, okay? Uh, I know you guys have been spending some time in the book of Acts, right? I want to read you a little bit of a little bit of scripture, one verse from the book of Acts here. This is before Jesus, right? He before he ascends into heaven, kind of his like closing words to his disciples in Acts chapter one and verse eight, he tells his disciples their role. He says this. This should sound familiar. Actually, flip there. If you have your Bible, flip there. I want you to read it. I want you to see it on the page if you have your Bible. This is important. Acts chapter one, verse eight. says this. 
the disciples their role. But you will receive, what does it say? Power. There's that word again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, he tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit will give them power. And how does Jesus express his power? Submission, absolutely. Submission to God. Listen, that's the power. So oftentimes we, we as Christians, oh, I need power. Like we want to levitate off the ground and do kind of funky things. God does amazing supernatural things. When the Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. You will receive power. That power, it's submission. That's the power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will live a fully submitted, fully human life. You will be holy as he is holy. You will be submitted as he is submitted. you That's your role. You will be like Jesus. Fully human. Living a spectacular adventure of saying yes to God not saying yes to other things. I want to read you one quote. Uh, I heard this recently, and it stuck with me. Let me read this uh, from the pastor in New York City. His name is Tim Keller. He said this, quote, listen to this. When Jesus sent those first 12 people out into the world to change the world, what did he send them with? Did he send them with training manuals on evangelism? Did he send them with with manuals on how to do a good TV spot? Did he send them out there with marketing and advertising knowledge? Did he? No. Did he teach them how to do a mass mailing, how to do telemarketing? Did he teach them even how to give a good sermon? Did he tell them how to get up there and speak publicly in a way, uh, in a good way, and how to divide your text up and how to use proper illustrations? No. He sent them with one thing. He sent them out with holiness and the whole world was changed. What do we have? We're a lot more than 12. Why isn't the whole world being changed? Maybe because we have the manuals, but we don't have the holiness. Can you see the big picture? Your holiness matters. It doesn't just affect you. Your holiness matters. You listening and obeying, it matters because it shows the rest of the world and, and the people around you how to swim the stroke. But far too many people are like me in that pool. They're flailing, trying to do things their way, what feels right, what they see other people doing. And they think they're swimming, but they're practically drowning. So, I started this morning asking, talking about this idea of expression, right? How do you express yourself? And hear me say this, just like those dancers jumping around and flailing on TV, right? Just like those dancers on TV, they affected me. How you express yourself, it has a massive effect on the world around you. Even if you don't see it. So, if you're a Christian, how are you expressing your Christianity? And remember, it's, it's not just what you do, it's how you do it. 
Are you living as a submitted disciple? Listening and obeying. Are you living a life of listening and obeying and ushering in God's rule and his reign? His kingdom. That's what we're talking about. He's the king. His will be done. His kingdom come, right? We pray that. In the kingdom of heaven, listening and obeying is power. Remember, how does Jesus express his power, his unmatched, limitless power? By submitting, by listening and obeying. That's power in the kingdom of God, friends. Remember, God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. The result of you listening and obeying is your own holiness. And the holiness affects the planet. So, I want to leave you with this. Jesus Christ, he transformed the entire world through the holiness of 12 men. 12. Imagine what God would do just in Durban. Imagine what he would do through the holiness of just Harbor City. I love that killer quote. We've got a whole lot more than 12 Think about this. Imagine what God would do through just your holiness. Lives restored, evil defeated, racism defeated, greed defeated. Like, just think about the the snowball effects of that, the ripple effects of just your holiness. A group of how many of us? 100 and something? Like, I don't know about you, I want to see that. I want to see that. So can I challenge you as a brother, as someone else who's, who's figuring this out in my own life, can I challenge you to listen and obey and watch what happens? I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. Uh, as we were praying this morning, uh, Grant and I both kind of had a similar sense. I think that there really are kind of two kinds of people here this morning. Um, I think there are those of us who genuinely need to not just acknowledge that something is true about Jesus, but actually receive his perfection in your place. Like, at best, this side of heaven, at best, we are going to imperfectly listen and obey. Right? Anybody here without sin? No, cool, yeah, me too. At best, our listening is going to be imperfect and our obedience is going to be imperfect. But thank God for the gospel. Thank God that Jesus comes to us and lives that perfect life in our place, the fully submitted, fully human life in our place. And then he dies the death that we deserve for our lack of submission. Okay? Some of you, you don't need to just acknowledge that that's true. You actually need to receive it. You don't just need to receive the gift on Christmas morning. You need to open it and play with it. That's some of us. And I think that there's others of us. I really believe God's calling you to let go of sin. Specific things. And not like, not like a seasonal fast. Like never again, let it go. So here's what I want to do. I want to take just a moment and I want the Holy Spirit to inform your minds and your thoughts of how God would be calling you to respond to this. Okay, the gospel is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. I'll just take a moment. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Um, for the sake of not being distracted, this is not about being like super duper spiritual and 
but I want you to be thinking and listening. We're just going to take just a minute, a minute, listen to the Lord. Spirit, speak to us now. How are you calling us to respond? How are you calling us to listen to you now and obey you? sense um, that that there really is uh, somebody here who's been affected by violence in a very tangible way. Either you've been violated, you've been the person maybe even potentially who has laid your hands on another person. Uh, I did uh, The picture I got was of a woman. Or, or maybe even that you, maybe you're related to that and you've experienced it and you've witnessed it in a way that's like really hurt you. think that there are, I think that there's people here who are really struggling to trust Jesus with a specific area of your life. Two things pop up to my mind, um, your finances and a romantic relationship. Holy Spirit, would you inform us on how you want us to respond and, and really trust you by obeying you with these things? just a minute. Um, I have something for the whole church. If I forget, will you tell me? All right, let me pray for us. God, thank you that you, you call us out by name. You're pursuing us. You never stop pursuing us because you're more committed to our holiness than even we are. <laughs> a people for your own possession, set apart, holy, blameless, royal, sons and daughters of the king. That's what you're doing. Thank you that it's finished and now it's being worked out. So I pray for faith in this room. Let faith rise for us to trust you, to give ourselves over to the verb of listening, not just to culture, not just to social media, not to just the opinion, the popular opinion of people, or what's been done before, especially here in this country. God, give, help us, give us faith to trust you, to give ourselves over to listening to your voice. What if you were the first resource we sought? When we needed guidance, when we needed wisdom, when we needed power. Make us a listening people and make us a people that don't just hear you, but obey you and experience the fullness of life, the abundance of life, of walking hand in hand, in step with Jesus. We're not people who are kind of tossed back and forth by the waves of the storms of life, but where the circumstances of life have zero power over us. 
because our power is found in submitting to you, listening and obeying you, knowing that you love us, that we're secure in your hands. God, I do believe that you um, are cultivating a, a deep heart of worship in these people. I believe that you want these people to be, uh, that, that you specifically you want Harbor City to be marked by praise. Not just what happens here on Sunday, but absolutely what happens here on Sunday. That there is power. There's power for this place when we listen. When I say this place, I mean this city. There's power for this this city for Durban as your people listen and obey you and praise you. So I pray that these acts of worship, that's what it is, listening and obeying, it's an act of worship. I pray that the worship of these precious men and women would have eternal consequences on the city of Durban, on the souls, even on the material place, that it would, it would change and transform, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth, on Durban as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. You have to do it. We can't do it on our own. But what we can do is we can give ourselves over to submission to the great and glorious God of the universe who loves us and gave himself for us. We praise you, Jesus. We love you. Let me pray these things in your holy and beautiful name. Amen.